Hello, my name is Grant, and I'm lead pastor at New Song Church, and we're, we're nearing the end, actually, of this season of uh, going through the Gospel of Mark, coming close to uh, the new season where we're focusing on connecting deeply, broadly, widely with our community here in, in a series that we're calling Connect. But uh, here we are still in Mark for at least another couple of weeks. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 7. If you would like to find that in a Bible or if you're watching uh, with us all together, you can look at the uh, Bible tab and we can uh, follow along there. Uh, thank you for allowing us to continue to connect with you in this way. And I hope that this gospel has been, as we hoped, an illuminating journey into the life and the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ, the, the Savior, Lord, the Messiah, and our dearest friend, the one to whom God calls us to turn uh, to find all that we are seeking in our lives. So we're in chapter 7, we're in verses 1 to 23 today. And I'll just go straight ahead and read that. And this is from the NIV translation. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear after he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. 
This is a big change in the direction of Mark's gospel. Up to this point, we've been seeing a series again of miracles and healings. And now we see a sort of a return to the controversy episodes of earlier chapters. Remember, there was five or so of these uh, interactions with religious leaders and they were called the con controversy uh, stories. Uh, and they had a, a kind of rhythm to them and we're returning to this rhythm again. And, and it's kind of a overall rhythm of, of these early chapters of Mark whereby Jesus is, uh, Mark is highlighting Jesus's uniqueness and the power of his ministry and then introducing it in, in periodic times, the opposition, the growing opposition, a growing resistance. It seems like the shadow of the cross is beginning to loom larger across Jesus's ministry. You know, in this section, we see there is fundamentally differences, clear differences between Jesus uh, and his way and the religious leaders and the religious systems and understandings of his time. They might as well be speaking completely different languages or even from diff being from different planets, such as the vast divide between their fundamental understandings of the Jesus way uh, compared to the, the current status quo of religion about what it means to be a human in right relationship to God. And we've encountered this many times so far in Mark's gospel, this very real tension between the way of Jesus and the existing religious context, the norms into which he had stepped from earlier when the leper asks Jesus to make him clean. And, and to our modern ears, that seemed quite strange. You think a leper would ask to, make, to become healed, but this man's greatest desire was to become clean to be no longer considered to be impure or defiled, to be able to live fully uh, with his community, with his neighbors, with God also, because he felt that his impurity that he had, this stigmatized uh, situation, this, this, um, his current state was, was separating him not only from people, but also from God. So to the religious leaders criticizing Jesus for hanging out with so-called sinners, and it wasn't just because they were morally disreputable people, it was because they were considered to be impure and a source of impurity. From Jesus' words about old wineskins and new wine and old garments being repaired with new patches, there's something that is changing. And then to his assertion that he is Lord of the Sabbath, the sacred day when no work was to be done, uh, covered by so many rules and regulations. And then he goes right ahead and heals somebody on that Sabbath day to the horror of all the religious people who were watching uh, because they had this sense that if all of Israel was able to keep just one Sabbath, then the victory of God for their nation might come. Jesus goes to Gentile lands where there are demons and there's pigs and there's a woman with an issue of blood and he's in contact with a dead body. All of these things are showing this incredible divide between the, the context that Jesus steps into and then his way of showing what it means to follow God, what the kingdom is all about. And these religious leaders are extremely concerned about this. Here's their points of concern, that Jesus cannot be a legitimate teacher and certainly not one who speaks for God, the God that they believe that they know, the one they believe that they are following and obeying that Jesus is unclean. He is a source of uncleanliness, impurity, and he's teaching others that it seems to be okay to be unclean also. He's at best a false teacher, and at worst he is possessed by the devil, and that's where his power comes from. They consider that he is anti-Yahweh, anti-their God, Israel's national God. He is anti-Jewish. He seems to be against the nation, against their religion. So they have all of these accusations and they seem quite clear to them, but there's a problem because Jesus clearly has real power. 
He's really doing miracles. And it seems the people are following him in great numbers, much to their envy, I imagine, when the people are supposed to be following them. And so far, every time they have tried to, conf- uh, to, try to trap him in his words, he has confounded them with his wisdom. Therefore, they must discredit him in order to remove him. They must destroy his reputation. And this is, this is tricky. This is entering into some dangerous times for Jesus, but he cannot deny or turn from his role, his understanding, his purpose, his mission, because he is compelled by the twin motivations of God's glory and the well-being of his creation. He cannot and will not stop. It's like the popular worship song that, that we have sung sometimes, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. His coming is the best thing that could ever have happened for his contemporaries and indeed for all of humanity. But many, and especially those who are closest to the center, the power center of religious life and political life, cannot see it or understand it, do not want to see it. One of the best definitions of leadership that I've ever heard, there are many definitions of leadership, but my favorite is this, is that leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they can handle. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they can handle. And Jesus is an incredible leader. He's calling all of his creation into a completely renewed and restored understanding of what it means not only to be a righteous Jew in the eyes of God, but to be a righteous human being from God's perspective. And as we have seen in the sad story of John the Baptist's head on a platter, this is a dangerous movement to be involved with. Despite, despite the outward good, goodness of Jesus' ministry of healing and all these wonderful things, his kingdom movement is a real threat and a challenge to power, to politics, to religion, and to society. So we see here again that he needs to communicate truth in such a way as to avoid a sudden and violent end to his ministry, but while still making his points to whomever is listening. And once again, we see the word parables appearing here, this kind of telling it slant version. He's giving truth, but he's giving it in kind of a veiled means, inviting people into curiosity and understanding. He, again, that phrase is here, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, it's not his listeners' fault. They didn't set out to create these structures that seem so removed from the kingdom and what God originally intended. Uh, They take all of the contours of their religious landscape just for granted. They've never really known a different way. But now has come the time for them to wake up. God has come. He has stepped into their midst and he's calling them to repentance and to a new way. So how does Jesus further his work here in this account and in this dangerous, potentially dangerous encounter again? And how does Mark continue to flesh out for us his portrait of Jesus? That's the name of this sermon series, that this is Jesus. That's our desire in these times, especially these times of difficulty and uncertainty. The greatest gift we can have is to understand more fully who is Jesus. And that's what Mark's all about. So here's what Jesus does. He shines once again a bright light on the status quo, the broken status quo for all who might be listening. He gets straight to the point about what is wrong and ultimately what is disconnecting people from their God. First thing he points out is the content, the problematic content of their system. 
you can go through this passage and underline certain words and see a real contrast between where Jesus believes, what well, Jesus believes is the content and origin of the system that they have found themselves in, and then what they should have been looking to and continuing to look to. These words, human tradition, ancient traditions, Jewish rituals, man-made ideas, or your own tradition, three times, versus the commands from God, this law from God, God's law, the word of God. And he really exemplifies it by saying to these religious leaders, for Moses said, but you say, there's the contrast. Moses, the original giver of the law, esteemed and revered. These men would say, Moses is the, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, but yet somehow uh, they have, they've failed to uh, um, to copy, to, to follow, to obey uh, the spirit and the heart of what Moses originally said. And there's a progression here. As in most things, people don't intend to do this. Religious people don't intend to be unfaithful to what God calls them to do, but there's a progression. There are many progressions in the Bible. There's one in, in James talking about sin, when sin kind of gets a hold and, and then it gives birth, to, gives birth to sin, to more sin, and then it, it leads to death. Well, this one is about this, this wandering from the core and the heart of God's commands to people. And it happens in, in three stages. Verse eight says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. The second one, verse nine, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then finally, verse 13, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. See the progression there. First of all, you just let go. Then you set aside more active and then finally you nullify, you make void the commands of God. So that's the first thing. He points to the content and the origin, I guess, of their, of their system. Second thing, he points to the damage done by their system. Your ideas have consequences, words have consequences, and what you teach has consequences. When you're in a position of power and you're telling people what it means to follow God, if that gets, if that gets messed up. There's been many, many, many times where charismatic religious leaders have been telling their followers certain things and it's ended in, uh, at, you know, at, at uh, best, you know, just kind of broken people and a further, you know, breaking of people. But at worst, it's ended up in terrible, terrible situations. And, and really the first thing he points to is it violates their system, their ways, violates God's central command to love others. This, this clear command is being violated. And he gives an example. He talks about honoring parents. Um, and, and he talks about this in, in verses 10 and to 12. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. That seems harsh, doesn't it? Notice the first thing is the command is to honor father and mother, but it doesn't necessarily specify what that looks like. But one thing it does say, if you actually are cursing your father and your mother, then there's a strong and harsh penalty for that. But you say that if anyone declares, so you say, you leaders, you religious leaders say, if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, and Mark now gives us a little like aside, which tells us he's probably writing to mostly a Gentile uh, audience because he's having to explain, and there's a couple of times where this happens, he's explaining the Jewish practices, but he says, if you do this thing called Corbin, then you no longer, you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. For Jesus, this is very problematic. Uh, Rona, my wife, 
wife and I were discussing the other day about the concept of elders and older people and, and the tragedy in our, that our culture does not really value its elders. Uh, and Rona has been uh, very involved in her native heritage, which is the Aleutic uh, culture of up in uh, Kodiak, Alaska. And she's actually been learning uh, the language o- over this time because, because of the pandemic, these lessons went online and she started taking them two or three times a week. And it's been really fantastic to see that. She, she does uh, some crafts and things, basket making and things. But, but that culture has been amazing. Uh, it, the way it's growing is because the people, the younger people are seeking out the elders and asking them their stories. And there's a great deal of respect. And, and, and we don't really have that. And, and, but in this culture back then, it was essential for we- the well-being of older people that their children would care for them. There was no other means of, of being cared for other than that which was given to you by your children. This is a, a matter of life and death. And it's a perfect example of the issues, the problems with this system, because there's this thing called carbon. And just to explain that, it's really kind of a nice way to avoid that responsibility, uh, but it's, it's really a violation in seeking to be somehow righteous. And these people are encouraging this system called carbon, which basically means that if you would vow uh, to give some percentage of your wealth to God. And at some point that was probably actually taken to the temple treasury and kept there. But it had kind of changed from that to become a place where you didn't need to actually give it to the temple. You could actually keep the money, but you would vow that it, this is for God. Uh, and therefore, it was, you were not allowed to use it for anything else. And so sometimes someone might make that vow in kind of a moment, or just one moment, and, but they would hold you to that. So if you said, and your parents are getting older and you've made this vow before the religious leaders to say, this, this is Corbin, this is dedicated to God because you felt kind of selfish one day. These religious leaders, you may change your mind and say, I want to help support my, my parents. They'd say, no, you have made this vow. You cannot help them. And this is a dreadful thing to be happening that these religious leaders are actually enforcing injustice. Uh, in, in such a way. Uh, and this is now what they believe is to be God's law, but it's coming from their own, their own ways of making this system. This is a big problem. And it gets right to the heart of, of what is happening with these systems. They are, they are actually uh, damaging to people, the people whom God loves. Second thing, it categorize, this system categorizes people as impure. This word appears quite a lot uh, in Mark's gospel and it appears a few times here or um, impure or defiled is another way of saying it. And it categorizes these people as impure according to arbitrary standards that have got very little or nothing to do really with how God sees people. People are not impure in the way that these teachers think, but they have built this system that, that names people impure for things that have got nothing to do with the way God sees things. Yeah, if you notice, Mark actually generalizes the Jews. He uses this general sense saying all the Jews and the, le- the leaders and the Jews all do this. That was actually common in his time when describing people. But actually, most of the people probably among the rank and file of the communities were, were, were among the ranks of the impure. There were fewer people who were keeping these laws perfectly like this. And, and interestingly in Mark, the word for unclean or defiled or impure is actually used 11 times in the total of Mark's gospel. Uh, it's actually more than all the other gospels combined. This is a big issue for Mark and, and Mark's version of Jesus, the way he sees Jesus, the, this, this concept of defilement or impurity. But here's the thing, in every single instance in Mark's gospel, this word refers to demonic powers. And only in one case does it refer to a person. 
And who is that person? It is Jesus is the one time when this word for defiled or impure is referred to a person. It's always used to refer to demonic powers. But in Mark uh, chapter 3.30, it says the leaders were saying that Jesus has an impure spirit. People are not in Jesus's understanding and nor can they become impure in the way these teachers have insisted. And this is a really big problem. It's making ins and outs. It's categorizing whole swathes of people as being religiously separated from God, from the community. And it is damaging and violating the heart of God for these people. It is separating them from worship of the living God in whom they can find hope and healing a future. Uh, Peter, it's amazing if you look at Peter in Acts, he learned this lesson well from his master. In one of Peter's, uh, so one of Jesus' closest disciples watching all of this unfold through Mark and then he goes on and he's a leader in the church and in one of his speeches in Acts, he says this, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. That is a significant thing for him to say being a Jewish man. It just shows you that it took a lot for Peter to be able to extricate himself from the system that said some people are impure merely by who they are, what they do, if they have a disease, Uh, anything, what they have touched, things like that, what they do for a living. And, And he's found himself freed from that. But this is a problem and Jesus is not going to let it lie. This damnation of people for such arbitrary things have no connection to what God has said about sin and about righteousness. They have lost the way. So we can maybe say, oh, Jesus came here to say everything's good. Just shut down this religious system and just live, uh, live your life. But that's not, it's not so easy, okay? Jesus is, I sometimes think, Jesus is both for me and against me. And let me explain. He is for me because he's always for me because I'm his creation. He made me in his image and he loves me. But he's against the parts of me that are broken in terms. He wants to diminish that. He wants to heal that. So if people are not impure in this way, what is, what is the problem with human beings that we can learn from this passage? Is there a problem and what is it? Well, Jesus is clear that it's a matter of the human heart. It's a matter of the human heart. So much of this text is about what we do, what we say, what we touch. And Jesus cuts right to the center and said, this is about your heart. This is not about externals. This is about the internal person that you are, the one that God sees the center of the person, their will, their very being. So what is it What is it about us then? What does Jesus want to tell us? Tell his people, tell those people, tell all people, what is our problem? We have problems. We look around our world and we see it day after day after day. And it seems to be something to do with our hearts, our will, our being, our humanity. Jesus in chapter seven, verse 18 says to his disciples, and this is kind of a repeated theme he says here is, are you so dull? Don't you see? Are you so dull? There's various translations of that. Are you so lacking in understanding? And really that's the point. The first thing Jesus points out that's a problem that he addresses again and again and again is that human beings lack faith, simple trust in God, and they lack understanding. So it's a regular word of caution to people. He, he, he says these kinds of things. Do you still lack, do you still lack faith? Are you so dull still? Don't you see? 
But what is so beautiful about Jesus, he is so different in his way he responds to this lack of understanding, lack of faith, and what the system did that in those days. That system penalized ignorance of the rules. You didn't even have to know. You could, you could violate something and you would be out with no understanding. Jesus is so different. He understands people's current place of understanding. He understands that it's hard. He understands that it's challenging. He understands that many people are stuck in these systems. But what he does then is he lays out for all who are willing to listen a new way of living, a new way of understanding. And he cultivates trust and faith, always asking, trust me, trust me. Verse 14, we hear him say this. Again, Jesus called to the crowd and said, listen to me, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. God himself has said in Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's gonna happen again when Jesus is, it's called the transfiguration where he appears in this glorious light before three of his disciples and his voice says, this is my son Listen to him. And that's good news for us because we lack understanding. We lack faith. And we need to encounter the patience of Jesus, but we also need to take seriously the call, the invitation to listen, to learn, to see the challenges of life as an opportunity to flex our muscles, to grow in strength and maturity and faith and understanding and knowledge of God and continue that process, not to misunderstand these circumstances being something that will destroy us, but be, realize it's something that will grow us, mature us, give us life and hope, give us strength together. So human beings lack faith and understanding. The second thing is human beings are always looking for loopholes. You know, when it comes to tax season, I've talked to people uh, who do tax stuff and I've talked to people who do like insurance stuff and it's basically a sad story of the human need to always look for loopholes that will profit us. And it violates the truth. It's a denial of the truth. But it's so part of human nature. These scribes that are talked about, these teachers of the law, were a fairly recent class in the history of the Jewish people of religious leaders. And they had taken the law, the original laws given to Moses, and had endlessly sought to expand them to cover every single aspect of life. There was nothing that was not described. There was book after book after book of laws and rules that nobody, it's like the, the American tax code, that no lay person could ever understand uh, William Barclay, a Scottish commentator, he said about these people, they had what can only be called a passion for definition. They wanted everything described and detailed, complete clarity. But also they had taken what was originally applied to only the priests, the high priests and the priests of Israel, and they had now applied it to every single person. And this is sense that they're, they're a challenged nation. Sometimes when people uh, have a challenge with, um, you know, opposing forces or, you know, um, some kind of uh, invading force over them, they seek to create a stronger sense of national identity. And this is really what's happening here. They are, they're saying, no, we must all do this. We must all do this. And it's not just because uh, they, they want a sense of national identity, but also they want 
God to rescue them. And they think if but perfection in the law and all of the additional laws would somehow bring God to them. They have failed to understand the heart of God that loves them. It's not looking for perfection. It's not looking for a perfect observance of all of these minute things, most of which have been added to the law, but is looking for hearts that are open. And this kind of behavior, this kind of religion uh, is actually the farthest thing from what God wants. And one of the biggest problems with this kind of religion is if you set this up in detail in minutia and everything is laid out and categorized, then you can actually possibly claim to have achieved something of at least of approaching perfection and holiness. Then you should expect that God will be fully available to you. This is the ultimate form of religion, broken religion. It's like a young man we're going to meet in chapter 10. He's called the rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you've heard the prophets, you've heard the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your, your strength, all that stuff. Do not kill all the Ten Commandments, etc. And this young man says, it seems really arrogant, but according to the system, he's possibly telling the truth. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. That's when Jesus says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. The man must have been, what? This doesn't count for anything. Don't you see how wonderful I am? But it's a problem because it's all about trying to trying to do it, trying to control it, trying to achieve it by our own effort, where all along God says, come to me, I am the one who made you, I love you, simply turn your heart to my heart and we will have a relationship and I will take care of the sin, I will take care of you. The third thing, human beings have hearts that are broken and in need of repair. Human beings have hearts that are broken and in need of repair. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's one of the saddest things. They talk all the talk. They do all the ritual and things, but their hearts are far from me. The hearts, this sense of the place where God and people are supposed to meet. But the people that are over here doing all these religious things and their hearts are, are excluded from the picture. But it's the one place where God is supposed to meet with us. And, it, and it's open and it's honest. It's beautiful. It's heartfelt. But they're absent. Busy, 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 busy. Religion, religion, religion. But they've missed the place where they're supposed to connect with God. And it leads to some dreadful things. In the absence of a heart's connection with God, and you're over here busy with all your religion, your heart is open to all kinds of influence that's going to start being literally it will start becoming impure and defiled in the absence of your attention and God's attention with you together in that place of your central core identity and being and purpose. Mark lists, Mark lists these things that Jesus says, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And notice he doesn't just talk about actions, he talks about motivations. Jesus really tightened the whole thing up and he says that you've heard that you should not hate someone, but if you, sorry, if you should not murder someone, he says this in Matthew, but if you hate them, you've committed that crime already. It's about the heart. Uh, someone, a new song, uh, I think it was Evelyn uh, Marmaleo perhaps, that I think she posted this quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn from this amazing book called The Gulag Archipelago about his time in a, in a Russian labor camp. 
during communist Russia. And this is significant. It says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years and even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. So we can't, the, the, the system that was broken, it was we tr- seek to separate the impure from the pure, the good from the bad. But God sees the heart, realizes that this line is, is between all of us. We're all capable of great evil. We're all, we are capable of great good. And, and God wants to take our hearts. First, we need to turn to him in repentance, confessing that truly that is the case with me. My heart is broken and in need of repair. And repentance is simply saying, yes, God, you're right. And I'm turning from that system, that way of looking for loopholes and turning to God and saying, change me, renew me, take my heart, it's yours. And then learning to trust him. The last thing I think this tells us is that we are terrified of the truth about ourselves. We are terrified of the truth about ourselves just as these men were terrified to hear the truth about themselves and that's why they ended up murdering John, they murdered Jesus and they murdered all the prophets before them and they've murdered many, many people since who stand up and tell them the truth about themselves, about their hearts. And it's because I think we do not understand the grace of God. We are terrified of the truth about ourselves because we do not understand the grace of God. And needlessly, we're keeping God at arm's length. I've got this, I'm taking care of it. It's like people who say, you know, you talk about them coming to church and they're like, well, let me kind of get cleaned up first. You know, hey, I'm not good enough, you know, to be among these good, wonderful people. Let me get cleaned up then, maybe I'll come and they'll never come. You come now as you are. Come now as you are. You know, Jesus uh, brings his disciples once again into a, a more nuanced uh, detailed explanation of what's going on. And, and that's something any father of Jesus should take very seriously and say like, okay, that's me there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in with Jesus in that small room and smaller context and I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna listen. I'm not gonna stop listening. I wanna hear you, Jesus. I don't want to fall into my human traps of fear, misunderstanding, a lack of faith or looking for loopholes or ways to justify myself before you because you've already justified me and God, you say I am okay, you say you love me, you say I have a clear open route to your heart forever. But he takes these people into his closest explanations. Once again, the disciples, and I think Later on, he's gonna say this thing that, that here's what we're to do is to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So, so the, uh, the outward things that we do, all that we do that may seem to have a tinge of religion about it, um, if it leads to the, to, to the ends of loving God and loving neighbor, then it is good. But if it's somehow seeking to justify ourselves or appear good to other people or please God somehow, then it's not good and he doesn't want it. And and I just think the disciples, this is interesting because I can imagine them sometimes in these settings where they're invited into the inner sanctum in a way and the the deeper explanations, you know? And it seems like they don't understand either, right? They're just like, we don't need to wash our hands. And this hand washing was a ritual hand washing. It was very specific about remaining pure, that nothing impure would happen and then you would eat your food and you could still be good with God 
And they're like, yes, don't need to wash your hands, yeah. And I think, you know, no matter how far you advance into that closeness with God, you're always still looking kind of for a loophole or like an in or be, and we're the inside now, we're the inside, they're the outside. Jesus is mad at them and he's happy with us. But what happens is he keeps calling them. He's saying, no, it's not just, you don't need to wash your hands. You need to continue offering your heart to me. Offer your heart to me. It's a greater cost. It's about sacrifice. It's nothing short of a, an ongoing, progressive, sub substantive heart change with Jesus as Lord. And that's what we are called to do. Let's be careful about our religion. Let's be careful about how we portray it. You know, one thing that's really true, I think ever since in the story at the beginning when, when human beings fell away from God, Ever since then, we've been hiding from God and hiding from one another. And the most beautiful form of community is when people are transparent and honest and unafraid any longer to let their hearts be on view just as they are. There's healing and there's power there. And no amount of religion is going to fix us. But there's a God who loves us, who knows us just as we are and says, just as you are, come to me. And then we will start this process and you will find yourself being changed. And, and in that happening, you will find the community around you became, being changed. Lord, and then the kingdom has come and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our calling. Come to Jesus, listen to him, follow him, trust him. We are so loved, we are so loved. And we are so always ready to, we, we just fail to see it because we feel We've got to somehow fix our guilt, but he has taken care of all of it. We are welcomed, we're invited. There's nothing anymore to hinder our relationship with God and no amount of religion can add a tiny, any piece to what Christ has already done for us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you that you sweep away all of our resistance all of our attempts to measure up, we can come exactly as we are. And you clothe us in your righteousness and you set our feet on the path and every day we wake up and your mercies are new and your grace is full, our forgiveness is complete. And we can have then the courage and the energy and the strength and the joy to together walk with you, serve you, love others experience the challenges and rejoice in the victories that you give for you are good, for you are faithful. We worship you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.